Well, good morning and welcome again. Thank you for joining us online. Um, it's a joy to be speaking with you today. It's been a few weeks since I've been able to speak to you, so I'm so glad to be back speaking to you today. So today we are wrapping up the series that we have been in called The Road to the Cross. The Road to the Cross. But as we finish this thing, I think today's message should really be called The Road from the Cross. Because that's the road we'll take today. The Road from the Cross. Uh, the Road from the Cross takes us today to four places. It takes us to the tomb, and then the road, and then the room, and then the whole world. The whole world. And by the way, I am Pastor Benjamin, um, if you did not know that. Okay, so I, I love Easter. Easter was last week, right? Everybody loves Easter. Uh, I, I love the chocolate and the goodies. You know, you can't get the hollow bunny. You have to get the solid milk chocolate bunny. But the best thing, and I know this is a divisive opinion, but the best thing are the Cadbury cream eggs. Now, we are not sponsored by Cadbury cream eggs, but I'm just saying, I know, people either love them or hate them. I happen to love them. I've been known to call them the nectar of the gods. Um, but I love Easter. I love celebrating Easter. I love singing about it and preaching about it and celebrating with family and church family. But the Sunday after Easter, today, I'd like to pose a question about the resurrection, and it may be a bit, I don't know, provocative, but what's new? So here it is. We may say that we believe that Jesus is alive and not in the tomb anymore, but do we really believe that with our lives? To put it plainly, where in our lives do we keep Jesus dead and buried? Where in our lives do we keep Jesus dead and buried? See, because the resurrection of Jesus is far more than something to just know. It's something that changes how we live. Is that right, church? It changes how we live. Something that changes how we show up in the world to others and to ourselves and to our circumstances. So what could happen? What could happen if we do receive the risen, living Jesus and all of his resurrection power and everything that means into every place in our hearts, every place in our lives, even in the places that feel the most hopeless or the most dead, especially in those places. So we're going to take a look today at, with the resurrected Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see what we can learn about welcoming the resurrection into all the parts of our lives. So let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. 
At the crack of dawn on Sunday, the women came to the tomb carrying the burial spices they had prepared. They found the entrance stone rolled back from the tomb, so they walked in. But once inside, they couldn't find the body of the master, Jesus. They were puzzled, wondering what to make of this. Then, out of nowhere, it seemed, two men, light cascading all over them, stood there. The women were awestruck and bowed down in worship. The men said, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He is not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, be killed on a cross, and in three days rise up? Then they remembered Jesus' words. They left the tomb and broke the news of all this to the eleven and the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them kept telling these stories to the apostles, but the apostles didn't believe a word of it, thought they were making it all up. But Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes, that's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. So, we have all of our kiddos out there watching this morning with us. So kids, let's start with this question. Why did the women go to the tomb? And what were they expecting? Why did they go to the tomb and what were they expecting? That's right. They went to bring the burial spices to Jesus, right? To Jesus' body. Because what were they expecting? Well, they were expecting Jesus' body to be there. That's what they were expecting. Because they had seen him die. And they had seen him really, really die. Like, no question about it. So, of course, they were expecting to find Jesus' body. But when they see that the stone that was placed in front had been rolled away and Jesus wasn't there, then they're confused. And the angels ask them, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? He's not here, but he's raised up. So, let me ask you, my friends to consider whether or not we do the same thing sometimes. Ask yourself right now, are there parts of my life, are there parts of my heart, parts of my relationships, parts of my work, parts of this weird pandemic season where I'm trying to seek Jesus, but I'm really just looking for a Jesus that's still dead. I know I need the power to change or to love or to hope, but if I'm really honest, I just don't believe that the resurrection power can reach all the way there. Church, anywhere that we believe that we want change, but we're not living with power and hope is a place that we're living like Jesus is still in the grave. Anywhere that we believe that we want change, but we're not living with the power and hope of the resurrection is a place where we're not, where we are living like Jesus is still in the grave. We can say and sing and celebrate that and believe that Jesus is alive and well, but the way we think sometimes, the way we live sometimes says but in this particular situation, 
he's still in the grave because I don't know how that life can reach this part of me. But remember what the angels called him again? They called him the living one. It's not just that Jesus was alive. Jesus is life. Jesus is abundant life. Jesus is new life. He defines that. He's the life giver. Where he goes, he brings new life. And he can bring that life to every part of us if we will receive it. So then what do the angels say? They said, remember how Jesus told you he was going to be arrested, he was going to be killed and raised up? He explicitly said those words. Remember that time in Galilee? And verse 8, then they remembered. It clicked. They remembered Jesus' words. He did say that, and this is what he was talking about. It clicked. How quick are we sometimes to forget the life-giving words of Jesus that have already been spoken to us? That have already been spoken to us. Jesus had already told them he would be raised again after he was executed. And he's already told us what we need to know. He's already told us what we need to know, too. Do you see this? That because of his resurrected life, his promises can be trusted. Because of his new life, his promises can be trusted. We just have to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Because if we really believe that Jesus beat death, we'll stop acting like he's dead and start remembering his promises before we spend our time looking around metaphorical cemeteries for the answers that we need. See, here's another way to put it, church. By defeating death, Jesus validated and put an exclamation point on every promise. On every promise. That he won't leave us or forsake us. That all things really actually do and are working for the good for those that love him. That nothing can separate us from his love. That there is therefore now, now, no condemnation for those who are in him. That he will provide our daily bread. And that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will be with us, guiding and shaping us. So, let's move on to the next story. The next story, some people call this the road to Emmaus story. So verse 13. That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? Verse 19, he said, Jesus said, What has happened? Tell me. They said, the things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, 
blessed by God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death, and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened, but now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, Jesus said, <sighs> I added that sigh, <sighs> so thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the book of Moses, books of Moses, and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. Pause. Would you like to hear that sermon? Because I would like to hear that. I'm going to ask for that one day. All right, 28. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he were going on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So he went in with them. And here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them, taking the bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us? What a story. What a story. I love it. So unlike the women here who were looking for a dead Jesus, these two were not looking for Jesus at all. They were seven miles down the road heading home. They had accepted his death and were moving on. So Jesus' sense of humor here is fantastic. He plays dumb. He acts like he has no idea what's been going on in Jerusalem. So they go on to tell him the story of Jesus. And they add the women's account of not finding the body and that even some of the disciples had gone to the tomb, but they didn't see Jesus. So these two disciples, they told the story of Jesus, but they left out the main part. They left out the resurrection. Sure, they were reporting what these women had said, but they left it out because even though they'd heard about it, I don't think they had owned the power of its truth into their story. I don't think they realized that the resurrection was true and what it meant for their story, for their lives. They hadn't owned it yet. We make sure to tell the story of resurrection every year at Easter, as churches do. But if we don't own the power of its truth in our story, then like these disciples, we will not recognize when Jesus is walking right beside us. We're not walking through life as if the resurrection has happened like these two. We'll miss his teaching, we'll miss his inspiration and his guidance and his truth, his presence. 
We will believe in the risen Jesus with our words, but behave like he's still missing in action, like it's a big question mark. I pray that in this strange season, this pandemic period of history, that we are not looking for a Jesus who's still in the grave. And I pray that we're not moving through this as if we don't know that he's alive and what that means. I pray that we will own of his resurrection right into our stories, right into this moment, this story. Owning the power of the truth of the resurrection might be best summed up by that old hymn. And if you grew up like I did in my faith tradition, we probably sang this every Easter. The refrain goes like this, says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. That's owning it. Let's read on. What happens next? Verse 33. They, the two, didn't waste a minute. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them, Don't be upset and don't let all these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. So these two hightailed it back to Jerusalem. They're overjoyed. They're telling the 11 what they had experienced and what happens during this testimony. Jesus shows up. Jesus literally shows up. He shows up right in the middle of the room where they have been hiding, where they had been doubting, right in the middle of where they had been grieving, where they had been hiding in fear. See, church, that is how Jesus shows up, bringing his resurrection power the truth of that, what that means, right into the middle of our doubts, right into the middle of the confusion, right into the middle of their fear and the middle of their pain. He's not afraid of their mess. He's not afraid of not being recognized. He's not afraid of being doubted. He's not afraid of being questioned. He's not afraid of their ignorance, of their pain. And the same is true for us. He's not afraid of our fear. He's not afraid of our doubt or questions or grief either. He is not afraid of our pandemic or our recession or our job loss or our uncertainty, our anxiety, 
He's not afraid of it. In fact, he's showing up right in the middle of it. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear. He's here to bring the hope and the new life that always follows where he shows up. It was true for them in that room, hiding out, hoping against hope. And it's true for us right now, today. Today. Pastor Melody, you can come back up. So, let's sum this thing up. Despite our best efforts to find him there, Jesus is not in the tomb. His promises, his promises have been validated by his resurrection. He's alive and he wants to walk with us. And when we find ourselves, as we inevitably will, hiding in the upper room of fear and doubt and shame and confusion and grief, failure, he will appear and offer his peace and his life right in the middle of it. You know, my friends, maybe that is the opportunity in this strange and trying season that we're in. Maybe that's the opportunity that's here. Because I think we learn more about who Jesus is in these moments than all the moments that we're supposed to be learning about him. And that's the opportunity of this moment in our history. It's the opportunity in all challenges. It's the opportunity that is in all suffering. Is to recognize and turn and meet the gaze of Jesus, who's speaking peace and bringing life right into the middle of it. And this message, this gospel, this one true narrative of redemption, of Jesus taking on flesh, teaching and healing and showing the way to the Father and bringing real and abundant and new life, taking on the sins of the world to save us from them and rising to new life. This is the story that he told his disciples to bear witness to, that he commissioned them to go and share and tell and proclaim and live it. The story that we still bear witness to through our words and our deeds and our lives. This is the story that still nurtures hope and mends brokenness and offers freedom and defeats shame and redeems suffering and gives abundant life. And when we own this story into every part of us and we stop looking in the grave for Jesus and we learn to recognize that he's been walking with us all along and we learn to recognize that he appears right in the middle of the stuff, the junk, unafraid, bringing peace. And that he not only sent us out to tell this story but empowered us to live this story. That is when we own fully the new life of Jesus into every part of our story. Let's pray. Father God, would you show up this morning right in the middle of our rooms, in the middle of our rooms where we're hiding, or we're anxious, or we're afraid, or we're waiting, or we're changing. These rooms this morning, wherever we are, this empty warehouse, our homes, our apartments, across this world, God, would you come? And 
help us to look for you among the living. Help us to realize the truth of this story and of these words. Help us to believe that it's not just a historical text that happened 2,000 years ago, God, but it's the most important truth of our lives. God, would you help the words of that song to be true? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. God, help this truth of your life to permeate our lives and for us to come more and more alive. While we're in these rooms, would you come and would you change everything?